All right, let's pray. Almighty God, uh, we are so thankful and grateful to you for this day, Lord, to come together as your people. We pray that you would uh, be with our brother as he preaches your word today. Help us to hear what you're saying through our brothers, through your word. Uh, we pray that you would use your Holy Spirit to bring conviction on us, Lord, where we fall short and that we need to change and uh, where we need to turn to you and where we need to grow. We pray that you continue to work on all of us. Um, we thank you for your patience and your mercy toward us, Lord, for um, our lives. We pray that you would help us to um, deliver this message to others in this area. We pray that you would uh, just be with my brother today, that you would give him the words to speak and give him boldness through your word and through your Holy Spirit, Lord. Thank you so much for this day and this time together. In Jesus' name, amen. Please turn with me in your Bibles to John chapter 14. John chapter 14. And I'm going to read verse 27. And that's all I'm going to cover. Because that's all I'm going to cover this morning. Is verse 27. And uh, I'm certain we'll finish this chapter next week. I hope. Let me read the verse. Hear the word of God. Jesus says, Peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not your heart be troubled. Neither let it be afraid. Amen. In the previous verses, Jesus has been talking, of course, about the the gift of the Spirit. He's going to bestow the Spirit upon His disciples and the Spirit will allow them to remember the things that Jesus has said to them and He will enable them to understand the things that Jesus taught them. But here, He switches now. He talks about a different gift. Now what He is talking about is the gift of peace that He is going to leave with the eleven and that He bestows upon us when we become His people. First, what I want to do is, I'm just going to outline the verse for you, walk through the parts, and then I'm going to take, uh, really just thinking about peace, uh, I'm going to uh, think about the topics addressed in each portion. So, uh, note the verse again. It's really divided into three parts. First, Jesus specifies the kind of peace He will give to His people. Listen to what he says. He says, peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. So what, he, what he's promising to his disciples now is not something common. He's not speaking about just general peace. He is talking about a peace that he alone is able to give. So in other words, you can say the peace of God or the peace of Christ. I think the peace of God is probably... Uh, the right way to convey what Jesus is saying here. He's offering them or giving to them. And this is a gift that we have also, the gift of this peace. And we'll look at what it is in a second. Not only does he specify, but he contrasts it. Look at the next part of the verse. Not as the world gives peace, do I give to you peace. So there's a difference. 
The, the peace that we receive from the world, and we may receive peace from the world, but that peace is nothing like the peace that Christ offers to us. Two completely different kinds of peace. And then thirdly, he gives some consolation. And that's an old word. We don't really talk like that. We, console, we may maybe console people, right? When you're trying to comfort someone in difficulty. But what Jesus, consolation in this sense is an expression of a mutual or shared benefit. And it's usually a future or shared future shared benefit, something that is coming in the future, that is going to make up, in essence, for some difficulty that they're facing. And the difficulty, of course, is his departure. And the consolation is that the peace he is going to give to them will ensure that their hearts will not be troubled and that they do not need to be afraid. That is the consolation. So he says to them, let not your heart be troubled, neither let it be afraid. So that is consolation. Consolation. Now, first, let's define peace. Most of us, when we think about peace, what we think about is no conflict. Right? I don't have any conflict at home, no conflicts at work, no conflicts with my neighbor, right? a, a conflictless life. But well, that's not the peace that Jesus is giving or talks about because in this world we will have tribulations. That's another promise that Jesus gives us. In this world you will have tri tribulation, but take heart, I have overcome the world, is what he says to us. So when we talk about this peace that Jesus is giving to us, what we're not talking about is a lack of conflict in the world and in every sphere and aspect of our life. It must be different to that. The, uh, in reading a number of older authors, there were two that kind of dovetailed each other. And um, let, me, let me give to you their definition. It's a shared definition, actually, between uh, two older authors. And they write this, Peace is a calmness of mind, right? It has to do with the mind, a tranquility of soul, a simplicity of heart, a bond of love, and a fellowship of charity. That is what peace is. And all of that sounds like very old language because they're old authors, but we'll explain it. So this peace has multiple parts. So a tranquility of soul. What does it mean for your soul, that tranquility, rest? What does it mean for your soul to have rest? Is your soul at rest? Does it long for anything? Tranquility of soul refers to, as one author puts it, our sense of appetency. You know what that means? Appetency. Appetency. Longings or desires. Our appetite. The appetite of soul. And... What Jesus is saying is that what he is going to leave to his disciples, what he's leaving them with is a satisfied soul. That their soul is not going to be longing for other things or for fulfillment in sinful things. So first, tranquility of soul. 
or if you wanted to uh, just think of one word to help you remember these things, peace has to do with the soul, first and foremost. Next, it has to do with the heart, or in other words, the will, our desires. And our desires, uh, uh, a, a will that is at peace with God is a will that is conformed to the will of God. Uh, a will that is at peace with God is a will that is conformed to the will of God. That's a really roundabout, maybe ornate way of saying this. The will must obey God to be at peace. Very simply. So, soul, the will, those all have to do with us. Now, the next is a bond of love. Bond of love. What does that mean? Of course, that first and foremost here, it's referring to our neighbors. So, in other words, there's peace between us and others and our neighbors. Peace between us and our neighbors. And the fellowship of charity, and their love also, charity in older writers means love, is a fellowship in love with God. So the first, when Jesus promises peace, it addresses man first and foremost. It addresses the soul of man, the will of man, and then what it does is it overflows. It affects his relationships with other men, and ultimately his relationship with God. Or if you want to take it the other way, you can say that the peace that Jesus gives is the peace of God. It is a peace that reconciles us to men, and it is a peace that satisfies the longing heart and soul of man. That's what Jesus is talking about when he says, my peace I give to you. And now, turn with me to Ephesians chapter 2 to see uh, exact, this is exactly what Jesus means. Ephesians chapter 2, beginning at verse 14. So you have the beginning of your New Testament, you have the four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, and then after that you have the book of Acts, which is a history of the church, and then after the book of Acts you have all of Paul's letters, and all of the big ones come first, right? Except Hebrews. <laughs> they, <laughs> uh, so Romans, 1 Corinthians, 2 Corinthians, Galatians, Ephesians. So Ephesians chapter 2 beginning at verse 14. <clears throat> Paul writes, For he himself is our peace. When, when Paul thinks about this, uh, uh, about having a tranquility of heart, a tranquility of soul, peace with men, peace with God, he goes right to the person of Christ himself. He speaks of him as our peace. The peace that we have is Jesus himself. For he himself is our peace, who has made both one. What he's talking about here in the context of Ephesians, what you had in that church was you had ethnically Jewish people, you had some God-fearers, which were Gentiles, 
who were attracted to Judaism but did not undergo the ceremonies of Judaism. So like circumcision, dietary laws, those kind of things. So Jews, God-fearers, and Gentiles. I mean, just straight up pagans. And they had believed in Christ. And now, they're, they're in the context of a church. And they're having to work together. And uh, as different as they can possibly be, these, these two groups, really. Gentiles on one side, maybe divided in two, and then the Jews. And he says that Christ himself, he is our peace, who has made both one. Jews and Gentiles are now one people. Now he adds to this, and has broken down the middle wall of separation. That's the major issue that we have with other people. There is separates us, right? So um, I would love to have a conversation with a lot of historical figures, but let's say I, I really like Mortimer J. Adler. I don't know if anybody knows Adler. He had a TV show, Ask, would ask quite, look, look him up. Interesting guy. He wrote one of my favorite books, How to Read a Book. Mortimer J. Adler is his name. And he was also in charge of, I think, the Encyclopedia Britannica and the Great Books series. But there's something that separates us. There's a wall that separates me and Mortimer J. Adler. You know what that is? Time. He died. So there's a wall of separation that exists. Also eternity. He's not here anymore. You may have that. There, there may be somebody that you would like to talk to or make amends with, but there's a wall of separation. It could be sins that you've committed. It could be sins that they've committed. It could be a misunderstanding between the two parties. But regardless, there's a wall of separation. Whenever there's conflict between two parties, now that wall might be multifaceted, right? <laughs> it might not be a solid, concrete wall. It might be bricks that you've both laid over time, and those bricks separate you. But Jesus... What he has done between the Gentile and the Jew is he has taken that middle wall and he has taken it out of the way. How? Because this is important. Having abolished in his flesh, listen to how he puts this, having abolished in his flesh, the enmity, the hostility. He, he abolishes it. He takes it away. Remember when we were reading uh, in the uh, Sunday school class uh, from Matthew 5, I think it was 17 and following or 15 and following, but right there in the Sermon on the Mount where Jesus says, I have not come to abolish the law. Right? Do away with it. Take it out of the way. Here, he does this with the enmity, he takes it away. It is abolished. It is put away completely. And this is one of the aspects of the peace that he said he would give us. But how does he do it? Oh, oh excuse me. He does it in, the, in his flesh. In other words, by the, when he, Jesus dies, he makes it possible 
for there to be peace between peoples who have hostility or enmity between each other. Historically, uh, for Ephesians, it's Gentiles and Jews, but today it could be uh, Hindus, Muslims, uh, 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 Dominicans and Haitians, uh, whites, blacks, uh, Hispanics, and whoever. You get my point. Right? That although it is a specific illustration or an, a, a specific application of what Jesus Christ has done for the Ephesians Christians, it is a reality that we can experience today with each other in the church. Okay. So... He does this by his death. That is, he abolishes in his flesh this wall, and now he defines what it is here for us. The law of commandments contained in ordinances. The law of commandments contained in ordinances. The religious practices and the religious uh, service that prevented Gentiles from getting close to God, Jesus has removed those. There's no more temple, there's no more sacrificial system, well, there's no more physical temple, you know, that you can put your hands on. There's no more temple, there's no more sacrificial system, there's no more high priest. And all of those things he abolished. He did away with all of those things now so that everyone who wants to come to God can come to God through Christ without any prereqs, right? There's no prerequisites necessary. You don't need to be circumcised. You don't need to commit to taking a dietary law. You don't need to do any of those things. All you have to do is believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. So he removed all of those things for a purpose. So as to create in himself one new man from the two, thus making peace. That is how you make peace. Two parties that are unreconciled, you bring them together. Two thoughts that are unreconciled. Right? I, I'm not sure if I'm a Christian, or maybe I am not a Christian, but I am concerned that if I die... I don't know where I'm going. Well, how do you reconcile the conflict with truth? You reconcile the conflict with truth, Christ himself. You can say a person, you can reconcile that conflict with Christ. Because you look to the words of Christ and you will know exactly where you're going. There's, there, there's no... Uh, there's really no gray area with Jesus. He speaks straightforwardly. So he takes away the law of commandments contained in ordinances. You know what's interesting, right? We can look to the Jewish people and we see that they had that historically, but people have that individually, as it were. So, so people have their own uh, law of commandments contained in ordinances. And they erect these commandments, they make these walls to keep others away from them. 
Right? There's, there's no... Um, and and uh, they're built for many different reasons. They're built because of insecurities. They're built because they want to hide something. They're built because they've been hurt by other people. They've been lied by churches. They've been lied to or maybe even stolen from by pastors and professing Christian people. So people build up these walls. Or maybe they grew up in a cult. They were Jehovah's Witnesses or Mormons or whatever. And now they've got this wall that they've built up, maybe their bad theology mixed with all of their evil experiences, and they, they don't want to have reconciliation with God and with God's people. But Christ still exists to break down those walls of separation. And He still labors uh, to do that. And so He makes the two one. That He might, verse 16 that he might reconcile them both to God. And now here, now here, what, what, what happens? We move from the relationship between man one to another and how Christ can unify those difficulties. He brings peace between the two. But when he brings peace between the two, his activity, his person, and his work also reconciled those men, or that new man, to use Paul's language, to God. There is now a reconciliation with God. Note it. He reconciles them both to God in one body through the cross, through his, through his own death. That's how he does it. By offering himself up to die upon the cross, Jesus Christ makes these two groups of people, one, per, one man, not one people, man, one people. He makes them one. He does this through his death, thereby putting death the enmity. And he came and preached peace to you who were afar off and to those who were near. For through him we both have access by one spirit to the Father. So, as, as Paul talks about this peace, and I believe this is the kind of peace that Jesus has in mind, this is what he says. Jesus Christ is the substance of the peace that must exist between man and man and God and man. Apart from there can be no peace. This is one of the reasons why Paul says not to be unequally yoked together with an unbeliever. And, and there in Ephesians, of course, he's talking about marriage. This is why you ought not to marry an Now, if you are... Okay. Uh, man, I've been a pastor for a relatively uh, long period... Not long, but a good period of time. And I've had this asked to me. You know, people get converted. It's a married couple. And let's say the husband is... Converted, the wife is unconverted. And the husband will raise questions like, I, maybe I shouldn't have married her. Because right? uh, she's not a Christian. And uh, do you think God wants me to be married to her? And you know what I'll say? Yes, he does. Why? Because you're married to her. <laughs> that is the simple answer. You're married to her, God wants you to love her and just, just the way that she is. Unconverted, you need to love her. So, uh, but, but a Christian who knowingly marries an unbeliever is putting themselves in the context of enmity knowingly. 
Because the greatest uniter of men is not present in that marriage. And that is the Lord Jesus. He is our peace. Therefore, in a church where there's conflict, Christ is being avoided. And in a world where there's no peace, Christ is being avoided. And that's why you see all of the disruption and difficulty in this world. So as Christ speaks to his disciples here, and he defines, and he says, peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you, it is the peace that flows from the work that he has accomplished. It is a unity between God and man, and man and man because of what Christ has done. But now notice how he contrasts it. He says, Not like the world gives do I give peace. The world does offer us peace, but it's generally temporal. It's temporary. Isaiah says this, in Isaiah 57, 21, he says, There is no peace, says my God, for the wicked. Therefore, any peace that is experienced, and, and uh, I know that people uh, tend not to like when that language is used for unbelievers. Right, when you say, the wicked. But, but, you know, ultimately, here's the problem. That's what the Bible says. And that's the way that the Bible chooses to refer to unbelievers. So it's not derogatory. It may be offensive to you, and God is meaning to be. He wants to. He, he does not like that you live in that condition. Therefore, he refers to you in that way. But there's peace with, there, there is peace to be found with him. There is no peace, says my God, for the wicked. The, what the world offers is a different kind of peace. And it, it, it's different in at least three ways. One, it's temporary. Even if you have it for the entire life, you, for the entire time you live on this planet, there will be a time when, where, well, even if you have it during your entire, during your entire life on earth, there will be a time when that peace departs and you stand in the presence of God and if Christ has not been your peace, you are going to have to give an account. So first, the peace that the world offers is temporary, but Christ offers eternal peace. Eternal. It is not temporary. So in other words, when Jesus says, as one author writes, when Jesus says, that he is giving uh, that his peace is not like the world not as the world gives do i give he is saying not for the same end i'm not giving you peace for the same reason the world gives you peace that is not why jesus christ gives us peace that is not why he came to be our peace not to give us some temporary enjoyment where we ignore the difficulties in our life because this movie is really good or this song is really enjoyable or this wine tastes mighty fine. So, you know, I have peace in my heart or whatever it is. It's not temporary. It's eternal. The world does give peace. It gives peace that is temporary. 
And it really, it, it reminds me of the rich man with his barns. Right? What does he say to himself? He says, soul, look at what you've done for yourself. Right? You, you've amassed a good amount of riches. Your, 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 uh, your barns are just filled with grain. Your vats are filled with wine. I mean, your bank account is just busting at the seams. You've got all the Bitcoin you could desire. You're just doing fantastic for yourself. And what does God say to this rich man? Fool. This night, your soul will be required of you. Right? He, 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 he drew all of this peace from his earthly prosperity. But then when he died, his, you know, his, his relatives did whatever they were going to do with the estate, and his soul is now tormented in hell. And he has no peace. There, there is also, a, and, and this was Aquinas, and I thought it was interesting, he, he called it a pretend peace. Where people pretend they're at peace. I mean, when they're in front of you, you're having conversations with them, you talk to them about things, oh yeah, things are great, and this, that, and the third. But it's not. It's really bad. It, it, it's almost hysterical uh, watching opposing views, it's kind of like this, it's like watching opposing political views give a commentary on a news, uh, um, on news. So what will happen is, right, one side will say this is the worst possible thing that can happen in the world. It is unbelievable that this event occurred. And the other side will say, how fantastic. Can you believe that this is happening in an age where uh, conflict and difficulty are arising from every source, such and such is? Well, when, when, when you look at the world and how they flip-flop on difficult issues, you realize that whatever peace they're proposing must be pretend. It can't be real. It, it, it must not be real. And this is an issue that the people of Israel have, had dealt with repeatedly. So even Isaiah the prophet, when he's preaching, he says of the false prophets, for they have healed the hurt of the daughter of my people slightly saying, peace, peace, when there is no peace. Right? So, so, so you go into your doctor and you tell him, they, they ask you the questions. They did this with one of my kids. You know, uh, psychological questions. Like, are you depressed? Do you feel bad? You know? And what's their remedy? Their remedy isn't, you know, you should probably confess your sins to the Lord and seek reconciliation with your siblings for being a horrible sister or brother. That's not their advice. Their advice is this. Oh, look. Take this. Take this pill. Here, here, here is your peace. Zoloft. There you go. That's your peace. But what is that? That's not peace. It's false. It's artificial. Right? It, what you do is you, you don't deal with the issues that you really have when you're overly medicated, when you're overly stimulated. however you do that, right? Uh, so how many thousands of ways do people do it today? 
You can do it with anything. That is false peace. It's, if that is the peace that you have, nobody's coming to help you. Right? You're, like, you're like that stupid dog in the meme, right? He's sitting in the house. The house is entirely on fire. And what does he say? I'm good here. And you're not. Because it's false peace. It's not real peace. And third, third, they're also, um, the peace that the world offers is imperfect. There are some peace that you can have in this world. You can have, um, uh, so uh, with, with an unbeliever, you can have peace with a neighbor, family member, spouse, uh, children. There can be peace, but it's imperfect and it's always temporary. And when conflict arises, it is a monster to try to resolve it. Because they're not reconciled to God, so they're not right. They're not reconciled. They don't know how to reconcile to man because they've not reconciled with God. So trying to reconcile conflict with an unbeliever is almost impossible at times. So it's imperfect. It's imperfect. In Isaiah chapter 26, verses 1 through 4, we read these words. In that day, this song will be sung in the land of Judah. We have a strong city. God will appoint salvation for walls and bulwarks. Open the gates that the righteous nation, which keeps the truth, may enter in. You will keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on you because he trusts in you. Trust in the Lord forever, for in Jah the Lord is everlasting strength. The kind of peace that God gives, it is a, it is a perfect peace. Why? Because there is nothing in this world that can overpower the effects or what has caused our peace to be, uh, you know, to use a more modern work, actualized, right? What brought about our peace, the person and work of Jesus Christ, particularly His death for us, that cannot be, uh, it cannot be matched. It cannot be overpowered by anything. As one author puts it, because the peace of the world is imperfect, since it is not concerned with the interior the interior of man. It is only concerned with externals. It must be temporary as external things are. It doesn't deal with a real problem. But the peace of Christ brings both peace of mind, peace of soul, peace with men, peace with God. Great peace have those who love your law, says 119, Psalm 119, verse 165. So, we have peace defined, which we can say is just Christ himself. The contrast between the world, the peace the world offers and the peace that Christ offers. And now, finally, uh, what is the source of this peace? Jesus tells us, turn with me to uh, John 14 again, and we'll finish here. He says in, in verse 27, Peace, I leave with you. Peace, I give to you. Christ himself. 
where we can say He is the peace. He is the source of our peace. And that, that is what He is reminding them here when He says, Peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. In, in Romans 1 verse 5, Paul says, Then Christ... Uh, oh, excuse me. Let's turn there. Romans 5.1. Paul says this, Therefore, Romans 5.1, Therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom also we have access by faith, by faith into this grace. I'll stop there. He himself is the source of our peace. So if you're thinking today, think of the fall. Right? In the fall, when God cursed man, the only peace that he offers is the seed who would crush the head of the serpent. And even today, with all of the conflict and difficulty we face, the only peace that can be had, the only true and lasting peace, is found in Christ. He is leaving them himself. How does he do that, though? How, how does he give himself? How does he... He does that by His Spirit. Remember, the entire context now is the indwelling of the Spirit. And we've been talking about those theological truths with regards to the Trinity, the relationship of persons, difficult topics. But essential to understand what He's saying is that Christ never departs from His disciples because He indwells them by virtue of the Spirit. So Paul can say things like, Christ will inhabit your heart as a home, so on and so forth. Christ is the source. He is our peace. And His peace is not like the world's peace. If you would have the peace of Christ, you know what you must do? Believe in Him. He offers it freely. Pray with me. Heavenly Father, we thank You for Your Word. And we thank You for the opportunity to spend uh, some time in Your Word this morning. And we ask that You would help us, Lord God. If we uh, genuinely have the peace of Christ, may we learn to rejoice in it. If we do not, Lord, uh, make it clear to us, and may we seek it by faith in Him. Amen.